Hello and welcome to the BG Podcast. I'm AJ Bingham, CEO of Bingham Group, and our guest today, a returning guest, is Howard Franklin, the managing partner of Ohio River South out of Atlanta, Georgia. How are you doing, Howard? I'm doing great, AJ. Thank you for making me a returning guest. It's awesome. <laughs> I am, man. I can't believe it. I mean, we met last Thanksgiving. It's been almost a year, and I'd love to see what your firm is doing out in Atlanta and in the, in the Southeast. And Hence today's show, uh, we're recording this on December 14th, a uh, few weeks ahead of the Georgia Senate, run, uh, Senate runoff, two, two uh, seats up. And right. very important two seats nationally, for those who are wondering why an Austin-based lobby firm is talking to, uh, is having a conversation about Georgia. Uh, it's just something of interest to the firm, and I think it has definitely has ripples for everyone across the country, uh, because of those two seats, currently held by Republicans go blue, that, you know, it means the Senate's, the U.S. Senate will be 50-50, but incoming Vice President-elect Kamala Harris would be, as a presiding officer of the Senate, a little civics lesson, would be the deciding vote on those things, which, you know, almost de facto means a Democratic House, I'm sorry, Democratic Senate, with a Democratic House and a Democratic executive. That's exactly right. So. Listen, it, it's, it's made Georgia the center of the political universe. There are so many people here. I talk to reporters virtually every single day about what's going on here. And today is a great day to be having this conversation. It's also the first day of early voting. Um, so we have in-person early voting in Georgia, and we have three weeks of it. So it kicked off today, and I've heard from a number of, of folks that polling places are already swamped. Yeah, let's, let's just get right to it then. You know, again, I, I get my news about what's going on out uh, in Georgia's from CNN and everything else, but you're on the ground there. So we want to talk to you in it, right? Not only at the local municipal level of the city of Atlanta, the metro, but also the state house. And we'll start with this. Um, yeah, just, I mean, what are you hearing? What's going on just on from the public side, right? You know, the average Atlantean, I believe is what they're <laughs> What are they seeing down there, over there? Yeah. Well, first and foremost, we're seeing a whole lot of TV commercials. Uh-huh. Uh, I think a story broke today that pegged the spending on this runoff at likely half a billion dollars, which is incredible. Basically, if you, if, if you have broadcast media for sale and it's in Georgia, you can put a political ad on it right now. There's just so, I mean, there, there's just so much uh, starvation for opportunities to advertise to, to voters. So there's a tremendous amount of paid advertising on TV, radio, internet, text message, telephones. I got one or two pollsters calling me over the weekend. In fact, the last poll I did was like Saturday afternoon. Um, So there's just a tremendous amount of energy and interest in this particular race. For all the reasons that you said, this is gonna, this is for all the marbles. Uh, It'll decide control of the United States Senate. So I, you know, I, I can't overstate how much resources being poured into this, into the state of Georgia not only from the candidates themselves who have all raised multi-million dollar sums. I think everyone's at, at eight figures at least, but also from all of the out, um, outside groups that are you know, sending staff that are doing telephone calls, text messages, and then doing outside advertisements. So this is really, I mean, you've been operating in, in Atlanta and Georgia for I mean, almost nearly two decades. This is unprecedented, this level of attention from the, I mean, from the DNC, I mean, from the, from both parties or national yeah, that's right. unprecedented? You're at 100% right. It, it, it is unprecedented. We've never been a battleground state of this magnitude. Uh, last time a Democrat won Georgia, like Joe Biden did on November the 3rd, uh, was back in 1992, a full generation ago when Bill Clinton won. Um, and so, yes, we've never, 
we've never seen this amount of attention. I think um, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution reported over the weekend that something like single-digit spending from each of the four candidates um, was actually in or came from inside of the state limits. So 90 plus percent of the spending uh, on these two Senate races for these four candidates is from outside donors and outside dollars to give you some sense of the amount of magnitude and the interest. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And then, so speaking of on the donor side, right, what's happening in state with the lobby? Yeah. So I mean, your, uh, your colleagues, I mean, both sides, because obviously, right, I think, I mean, yeah, these, these are, it's, it's DC, but, you know, back in the right winter here, obviously, as you saw the last administration can definitely move your firm. Give you, is there never friend in DC who helped in, in the election? Yeah, I, you know, I don't know how much I think, I think the battle lines are drawn. I don't think this is a question of which side um, lobbyists decide to get on. I think if you, you know, in large part because we're in a runoff. So, you know, we already had the general election on November the 3rd. We had the, the jungle primary uh, for uh, the Isaacson seat, which was 21 candidates initially. And then we had the regular primary um, that, I'll, that went through June 9th primary and this is the Purdue seat. So, you know, we, the battle lines are drawn. It's pretty clear who's on which side. The, the focus at this point is completely on turnout. Can you get the same coalition of Democrats that backed Joe Biden to come back to the polls? Or can you get the coalition that at least made David Purdue the front runner? And he, he did win um, a plurality of the votes on November the 3rd. He just didn't win 50%. And therefore, uh, due to state law, has to go to a runoff. So I think there, you know, there's a pathway for any of the four candidates. Uh, there's a tremendous amount of both enthusiasm and resource being spent. You know, I think that the difference here that may have, that I think really shifted from November 3rd to the 4th when we got into the runoff, is that especially in the, um, in the second race, the jungle primary, the candidates were more focused on themselves and what they could do for Georgians. They were talking about their own elected experience. They were talking about their connections to the state, uh, lifting up their issues. Now it's gotten to be a little bit, a little one-sided if you're looking for issues to be communicated. If you're the Republican side, more or less, running as a ticket is branding John Ossoff and Raphael Warnock as, you know, as radicals. I mean, that's literally the the word of the day or of of the runoff in this case. Um, And so... You know, we're talking about socialism. We're talking about socialized medicine. I mean, vir- virtually all of the attacks that you see made on National Democrats is what we're, they're looking to paint Ossoff and Warnock with. Ossoff and Warnock, in my opinion, and obviously I'm, I'm a bit biased, uh, but I think they're doing a better job of pivoting to the economy, uh, coronavirus relief, and fighting the pandemic. And those three things kind of going hand in hand, really making the case that we can't get the economy back rolling unless we fight the pandemic and get under control. And um, in, in the meantime, you know, smart, dedicated, hardworking members of Congress ought to be working on relief packages to take care of businesses, uh, individuals, you know, small business, et cetera. So that, that's, in my estimation, the, the messages from the Republicans and Democrats are significantly different on the airwaves. Mm-hmm. And then speaking of the GOP, and you know, this ties into just what's going on uh, up till up to today, right now with the electoral votes being counted as we speak. Um, what do you? What's going on with the 
to the degree you know the state GOP, because outside in, right, come, you know, just what we're seeing nationally, or uh, that the rest of this country is seeing, is uh, you know, essentially like a, a schism, which is probably the nice way of saying it, just because of the Civil War, might be a war, right, down in Georgia, because you have, you have, uh, you know, your, your, state, your Secretary of State at odds with the President, amongst other other folks, and it just seems really messy. I mean, what do you just your Republican colleagues? What do they, what are they, they seeing or saying with all this? I think civil war is probably the appropriate way to talk about it. Um, you know, AJ, as you are well aware, the the media called the state of Georgia for Biden a few days after the election, counting in, counting up those remaining absentee ballots that came in. Um, you know, we've had two recounts so we've counted the votes fully three times uh the first one was an audit recount put on or or, or basically uh initiated by a republican secretary of state the second one um was a campaign recount because in georgia if you're within one percent margin the secretary of state or the state will provide and perform a recount for you for no charge to the losing candidate and then obviously we had election night that dragged on a few days. So we had three individual uh, tabulations of the vote. They all came back um, to very, very small, very small changes with, um, you know, a couple hundred votes here or there. But they all came back in support of Joe Biden. Today, actually, the electors all across the country who are a part of the Electoral College uh, tabulating their votes and are officially calling Joe Biden the president-elect uh, for the United States. But the real civil war came in when the president called on uh, Governor Kemp, called on Secretary Raffensperger, called on um, other elected officials who are serving at the state level to overturn um, the, the results of the election, to overturn the outcome, and to play with the team that got them there. And it, you know, if you watch this closely, you might recall that uh, President Trump weighed in when then Secretary Brian Kemp, Secretary of State Brian Kemp was running for governor. He weighed in on his behalf. He tweeted an endorsement. Uh, he and others have come to campaign for Brian Kemp. And President Trump more or less said, I need you to take this one for the team. I need you to figure out some way to overturn this election. And if you don't, I am going to be disappointed in you. And, and actually, in this case, our president did show that disappointment. He took a national TV interview where he said he was ashamed of having ever endorsed Brian Kemp. He tweeted a number of things at him, telling him just to, you know, figure out a way to give him what he wanted. And the Secretary of State Raffensperger and the Governor Kemp have, have stood strong. They said, listen, we, you know, our guy was Trump. Our guy didn't win. We're not going to meddle in the elections to change the results uh, to give him the outcome that he wants. So. It's, it's, it's been pretty bad here if you're a Republican looking at your elected leaders uh, at the state level and mm -hmm. at the federal level. And go back to the state level, how do you think this is going to factor in both state and federal as related to Georgia as we look at 2022, you know, the uh, midterm cycle and then the next presidential cycle? Even though we just got, we're, just, we're almost finished with this one wrapped up, but, you know, time's going to fly, right? And, you know, once those, the gates are open on Georgia, as a, you know, we got we got two Senate runoffs, so Georgia is definitely is is a battleground state now. It and is a battleground. What, what do you think that means? What does that mean? We just look to twenty twenty two midterm wise, right? I mean, 
just more more of everything, right? Like new levels are more of everything in terms of what you're seeing now, probably double down in the next two cycles because it shows it can be done. I think you're 100% right. So 2022 has a number of interesting features um, that we're going to see come out or play out. One, Kelly Leffler is running for the unexpired term, the remainder of a term. And whether she is successful or not, there will be another race for a full term for that Senate seat in 2022. So the winner between her and and Reverend Warnock will have to defend that seat in just two years. It will also be a congressional midterm year. It will also be um, a campaign year for all of Georgia's constitutional officers. So governor, lieutenant governor, all the way down to ag commissioner. Every constitutional office will be on the ballot as will every legislative office, all 236. And one last feature, not a bug, is we will have hopefully completed reapportionment by this point. So we will have our 14 um, congressional seats and our 236 state legislative seats between, (coughs) (coughs) sorry about that. You may have to do some- The wrong pipe, it's all good. Yes, (laughs) so I'll start it again. What you'll have in 2022 is also a brand new set of maps. All 236 state legislative seats between the Senate and the House uh, will have an opportunity to be redrawn. So you have campaigns from the highest level up to from United States Senate and Congress all the way down to state legislative seats. And you'll have a new landscape on which to play this political game. So 2022 is going to be maybe as crazy as 2020 is right now. Maybe. So, you know, whether, whether uh, the inc- both Senate incumbents, Loeffler rather, and Senator Purdue remain in their seats or whether one or both of them lose those seats, what does the future hold for Stacey Abrams? Talk about people who brought you here, right? And, and, and I know, here's the thing too, and I want to get your take on this. I know it's not just Stacey Abrams. She was just, nationally, she had most, uh, the biggest uh, podium, podium uh, prominence, right? So it becomes the focal point of the stories. I know there are countless black women, particularly who got this done. Yeah, and, absolutely. And so, but me and Stacey Evans, we wonder. I'd love to hear about from you about whoever, whether women are and other individuals who are involved in this, black women or black men. But what let's talk about Stacey Abrams. What does the future hold for her? And that's that definitely is an awesome tie because she has or she has an awesome connection here from uh, her master's program years. That's right. And uh, but what is what do you think it holds for her? Where to lose for the Democrats? Because even again, this far, it wasn't uh, it wasn't the DNC. Yeah, I, I have to imagine that the success that Georgia Democrats have experienced, and the success and the um, and the attention that Stacey Abrams has received, rightfully so, will will do a lot to draw her back into a rematch with Governor Kemp. I, I have to imagine it's hard not to imagine a scenario where Stacey Abrams is on a ballot for governor in 2022. Um, so much so that, I mean, there's even speculation that once these Senate races are done, you know, she'll make known her, her preferences and her, and her plans for seeking another elected office. And again, I think just because she's got, I believe an executive mindset, she's been an executive as the minority leader running the, the business of the minority caucus. She said on many of occasions and in many interviews, that her interest is in an executive position. The only one of those that's really available at the, at the top of the ticket 
is for governor in 2022. So I imagine she will likely be a candidate for governor. But that, again, you're going to still see well-funded candidates for Senate, for lieutenant governor, for attorney general, all up and down the ticket. And you'll also see some hotly contested uh, legislative seats. But again, keeping in mind that redrawn lines will likely favor the majority party. So I don't know how much change or how much of an uptick you expect to see there. In the, in the November 3rd election, uh, Democrats actually picked up three seats across the chamber, one in the Senate and two in the House. So not nearly the, the size of the gain that, that I think we were hoping for. Uh, and we'll see whether or not that changes in 2022. Mm -hmm. Speaking of your session, your, the Georgia session starts, just to, legislative session starts a day before ours. What do you, do you see any ripples from all of this? Just, you know, because the runoff is going to be January 4th. Um, do you see any ripples, maybe, probably maybe more so on the, on the GOP side, just because of all this? I'm, I mean, you let me know, I'm sure there are probably, within the, within the party, the GOP, there are probably folks who are more aligned with the Trump, Trump wing, Trumpism wing, and then folks who are more in the Kemp, uh, Kemp wing. Raffensperger, yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, yes, there are ripples. So probably the biggest one, the one that's gotten the most attention, we had two uh, at state house hearings about this, and you may have also seen that Rudy Giuliani um, oh, yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> came down to Atlanta and, and promptly made himself a super spreader. Testified at the state house uh, in committee. I watched it online, and then uh, a day or two later, uh, revealed that he actually contracted COVID in his many travels across the country. I think he'd also been um, obviously to New York, but then I think also to Michigan in the last week. So that said. Um, the biggest issue fight that I think will arise is whether or not Republicans will strip down some of the protections and some of the access to the ballot, including absentee voting. That's been kind of the, this bore the brunt of the criticism uh, from state house Republicans so far. There's been a discussion both in person, on social media, in the news media and elsewhere, um, that the rules that allow for the signature match that allow for drop boxes are too lax. Um, you know, to me, this feels like a solution in search of a problem, but Republicans in our state do have control of both houses of the General Assembly, and they look, they look likely uh, to change some of the rules around absentee balloting and try to potentially make it harder uh, for Democrats to build a governing or campaigning majority for Stacey Abrams in 2022. That, that's probably the biggest issue. I think you will still see some political infighting um, you, you know, we do have some battle lines drawn. We did have some folks, you know, calling out statewide elected officials for not doing enough to support the president. And probably most meaningfully, the president came here and campaigned for Kelly Leffler and for David Perdue. And he all but invited former congressmen to challenge Governor Brian Kemp uh, for the nomination, the Republican nomination for governor from the stage mm -hmm. just a week ago. So we, we will likely see primary challenges to both the incoming, I'm sorry, the incumbent uh, governor, Governor Kemp, and likely the incumbent Secretary of State, uh, Raffensperger, and at the very least, if not others. Got you. Last two things, too. So uh, I, this broke earlier today. We saw your mayor, uh, Keisha, or Mayor, Lan mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms, had uh, turned down, at least was reported, turned down a, a cabinet offer from uh, President-elect Joe Biden, and you're, yeah, uh, I, I didn't. I caught it just as we were getting on the show, but uh, you probably know more about it than me, just in terms of what what this what the offer was and 
Sure. Yeah. It's definitely making news here. Um, you know, I don't know that the mayor clarified or crystallized what the offer was, but um, reporters out of D.C. Re reported that she had been offered the Small Business Administration, which is a cabinet role, had been elevated by President Obama, and I believe remained uh, a cabinet role under President Trump. And so the word is, the reporting was that she had been offered SBA um, and that some communications had gone back and forth. Maybe she was looking at a different post, uh, maybe was weighing whether or not to leave Atlanta uh, just three years into her first term. And just yesterday, I want to say, one of her, her staff uh, issued a, a press statement saying that she did turn it down and that she intends to stay here and do what's best, what's in the best interests of Atlantans. So, you know, that, that doesn't mean the door is closed. It could be that this is a negotiation uh, happening behind closed doors. Someone may offer another position, another post. Um, I honestly do not know. But what I do know is that ever since, well, really two inflection points. The first is ever since Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms got out and stumped for Joe Biden before he even looked like his his candidacy was going to take off, you know, there's a lot of expectation that if he was successful, she would be tapped for a high level role. And then once he did succeed in winning the Democratic nomination, I think the, the scuttlebutt and, you know, the, the rumor mill has really reached a fever pitch in terms of her potentially going to D.C. and really, you know, the sky being the limit in terms of what she could be offered. Uh, so those are those are conversations that have been had for a very long time. But we're just starting to hear her side of the story uh, in terms of what's been offered and, and where things currently stand. Got it. I'm sure we'll hear more about that as the week gets on. Again, we're recording this on Monday, December 14th. Last thing, last thing. So, you know, vaccines getting out. I think the first shots, first people got, got inoculated today. So my question to you is, let's, let's look at 2023, come down there, I'm gonna come down there for the masters. <laughs> and I'll make you a deal. If that happens, if 2023, yeah, I'll, I'll, if, I'll come out with the Masters, and we'll get you out here for South by in 2024. I love, that? I love it. I love it. I'm a big fan of South by. I probably haven't been in 10 years, so any excuse to get back. I hope the vaccine's everything they say it is. That's another political football here. Uh, as you, CDC so sure is based in Atlanta? CDC is based in Atlanta. There's a lot of, um, a lot of discussion about, you know, burnishing the CDC's image and the fact that it may have taken some reputational hits under President Trump. So I know that's one of the things that President-elect uh, Biden wants to make a priority, wants to make sure that people trust the CDC, trust uh, doctors, medical professionals, and trust science. But as you, I'm sure you've seen, I watched the Sunday shows uh, this weekend, uh, the, the results are, are mixed on whether or not Americans are willing to take the, uh, the vaccine, as it's currently been talked about, even with you know, 94, 95% effectiveness rate. So you know, none of that's going to matter if we can't figure out a way to convince Americans that it's safe. And that's obviously a, a big priority, not only for the incoming president, but for business and industry and others who want to see the economy uh, get back on its feet. Now, we have, there's, a, there's a survey out this morning in the Houston Chronicle thing did, but it's almost the same that, you know, for Texas, it's, it's, it's almost like 40 percent or don't want to take it. And for various, for various reasons. Right. But there's adverse taking it beyond just being anti-vaccine. A lot of it's nothing about the vaccine. It's that, you know, being anti-vaccine, it's more about just the whole it process. It happens really, really quickly. And, and I, you know. I think I it's more this administration too, just because it's. I was, that. that was where I was headed. I, I'd be remiss not to say that 
you know, the president certainly um, deserves some credit or some blame for convincing some subset of Americans that the pandemic is not that big a deal, that you can shake it off in a couple of days, that it, you know, isn't the deadly pandemic that, you know, we see on CNN or MSNBC or even on Fox News. Um, and so it will be really interesting to see whether or not Americans change their views about their willingness to take this vaccine or one of the vaccines that's made available, because I know we're, we'll have a few. Yeah, and that's presuming we get enough, enough copies, enough to copy, enough doses. Enough doses to go so, around, that's right. Well, Howard, thank you for your time. And last thing, where can people find more about your firm and about your firm too? I mean, you're involved you know, obviously, you know, Howard's a lobbyist and based in Atlanta, uh, state and local work. But for those who are looking for representation in Georgia, Howard, where can they find more about your firm? Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate the, the, the shout out. Uh, Ohio River South on all platforms and OhioRiverSouth.com is where you can find out more about us. I'm a, as AJ said, I'm a, I'm a contract uh, lobbyist, mostly working in regulatory affairs. And every now and again, I remind people that I'm a semi-retired political uh, gunslinger. So certainly, you know, I've been pulled back into the fray with this, this set of elections. We've actually uh, advised a couple of the campaigns and I feel really good about where things are headed. I, you know, very much vindicated that Georgia is finally stepping fully into battleground status. It means so much for uh, the political opportunities that happen here and also for forcing our two political parties to do more to work together as opposed to allowing one party to rule. So I'm excited about it. Looking forward to, uh, you know, the next three weeks uh, and this election on January the 5th. But feel free to check me out or reach out at OhioRiverSouth.com. All right, Howard. Have a great day. You do the same, AJ.